Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. I'm Laura Jost, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Recently, Dr. Barbara McEnany, the current president of the American Medical Association, visited AJMC's office for a wide-ranging discussion on new payment models, transforming care, and the work of the AMA. Dr. McEnany is an oncologist who has been at the forefront of transforming care for patients with cancer. In 2012, she and her organization, Innovative Oncology Business Solutions, received a $19.76 million grant from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to develop a community oncology medical home model. The model was implemented in seven practices and aimed to improve patient care, outcomes, and satisfaction while reducing costs. She will be the keynote speaker next month in Philadelphia at the Patient-Centered Oncology Care Meeting, AJMC's annual multi-stakeholder meeting featuring payers, providers, and patient advocates. So CMS Administrator Seema Verma announced in August that Medicare Advantage plans can begin to offer step therapy, which is also known as fail-first policies, beginning in 2019. The goal is to reduce healthcare costs. So how does AMA view this change? The AMA is disappointed with that change to allow Medicare Advantage plans to do a fail-first program. People often change their Medicare Advantage plans every year or two or plans change what they put as first-line drug depending on the economics of what they can purchase it for. That is incredibly disruptive to patients. For cancer patients, if we have to have patients fail first on the old-fashioned, less expensive chemotherapy before they can get to the stuff that's gonna make a difference in their life, we're gonna do damage to people. This administration has wanted also to cut documentation requirements. So, and we applaud that. We are definitely in favor of cutting down the amount of documentation physicians have to do. But if now I have to go through this process every time I treat a patient on a Medicare Advantage plan to plead with them to let me give the patient the drugs that I think are better, they have just increased my documentation and physician burnout risk significantly. So we would like to be able to work with the administration to find better ways to save money. We absolutely agree that that we need to save money in the system. We understand that physicians need to be held accountable for the quality of the care that we deliver. We just think there are better ways to do it than the prior authorization process or the fail-first processes that are going into Medicare Advantage plans now. So switching gears to cancer care specifically, the results from the second performance period of the oncology care model have shown that an estimated 65% of participating practices are still not meeting their cost-saving goals. Do you anticipate practices will be rolling off of the program in the coming year or two as a result? As the, the oncology care model was originally designed, if you did not develop cost savings, then you are pushed off that particular model. You don't get to continue. So those practices that did not make savings the first time and now have not the second time, I think we will lose them from the oncology care model. The other option for practices is to take two-sided risk. 
And that, I believe, is very problematic for practices for several reasons. Probably the most important is that practices do not have reserves or actuaries on staff who can figure out what the risk is of the patients they're taking. We have no way to control who walks into our door. We take care of everybody. So the lack of reserves is something that a state insurance commissioner would not allow an insurance company to do. If you want to set up an insurance company in any state, you have to convince the insurance commissioner that if you have a series of patients who are more expensive than you predicted, that you have the reserves to pay that back. Practices don't have the ability to do that. And with the OCM including the entire cost of care, there are so many factors that are outside of the control of the practices that it's not surprising to me that most practices have not met their targets. And it's not surprising to me that most practices are not willing to take that risk for things out of their control. And of the practices that have succeeded, what trends are you seeing? Are they making specific changes in how they function? Or were these already practices that performed well and were doing the right things like care coordination? Well, I had the Innovation Center grant of Come Home, which stands for Community Oncology Medical Homes. And we thought that those seven practices would be extremely well positioned to do a great job for OCM. OCM built on some of the things that we learned about how to do a better job delivering care to patients, how to do that coordinated care, provide those same day visits and other things that kept patients out of the hospital and therefore saved money. We saved a lot of money and come home per patient. Those practices have not done any better than others. It seems to be a random event, and I think there's two parts to that. There's probably more than two, but there's two parts. The first is that as CMS has created their target prices that we're to aim for, they are not sufficiently accurate. So we took all of the data we had from the come home, from 16,000 sets of claims, and we compared what patients actually cost the system to what the OCM target was. And we found that the correlation factor, the R-squared value, was 0.33. If you flip a coin, it should be 0.5. If you have a model that you're going to base an economic decision on, it should be better than 0.75. So the fact that the, that the value was 0.33 tells me that it's more or less a random event, whether you're going to hit that target. And I'm not willing to bet my practice on a random event. If we do, if practices took two-sided risk and then had to pay back money to Medicare because a patient had a one of these uh, strange reactions to some of the personalized medicine drugs or some other untoward side effect or even got hit by a bus on the way to the office, you would have an event that could be incredibly expensive that would be more than the practice could afford to, to pay back. So one of our concerns with two-sided risk is that you may lose a certain fraction of the practices who will either go bankrupt have to sell to a hospital system to survive, in which case the cost of everything doubles, 
or just not be able to continue to participate in that model? There have been a lot of concerns about attribution, which you're referring to. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Right, I can speak both from looking at what the data has been that the Community Oncology Alliance has collected and from my own personal experience. That we find that the sickest patients, the ones who are most likely to need a lot more visits, need a lot more visits from me as the oncologist, but if they're diabetic or something like that, they would need a lot more uh, visits from someone else and we're trying to treat their cancer. Uh, so they would have a lot more visits to other specialists or to primary care doctors, and then they wouldn't be attributed to us. But the purpose of the attribution is to say we deserve these, these MEOS payments, the additional payments that we get for care coordination. So for the very sickest people, the ones who need the most care coordination, that money is taken back. So we think that's a flaw in the system. How has the role of care management shifted under the OCM and other value-based payment models? I think that care management is focusing now on looking at the low-hanging fruit of keeping people out of the hospital and keeping people out of the emergency departments. There will always be cancer patients in the hospital. We will never get to zero on that. But if we set up our practices so that we can manage a lot of the side effects of cancer and its treatment, in the lower cost physician office setting, we can save significant amount of money. In Come Home, we did exactly that. And we saved an average of $2,100 per cancer patient simply by cutting down hospital visits and emergency departments, delivering antibiotics or fluids in the office. The benefit to that is huge to patients because patients do not want to spend their time in a hospital. They want to be home with the people that they love and, not, and feeling well enough to enjoy being home. So when we can intervene early, we can accomplish that goal of better patient quality of life. And then by the way, we also save some money. So a lot of the practices around the country have learned from what we, we published in Come Home to say this is where they can, they can focus. So we try to do some risk adjustment to figure out which patients are more likely to end up in the hospital and focus efforts on those, or some of us just do a generalized nursing-derived triage system that any patient who thinks they have an issue can get in and see us that day. What steps is AMA taking to improve patients' engagement in their own health, and how is the organization working to curb chronic preventable diseases? The chronic preventable diseases are enormous in this country. We spend $3.3 trillion every year on healthcare, and 90% of that is on chronic disease, diabetes, and heart disease. And now, to some extent, cancer are chronic diseases which need to be managed. You don't manage those diseases well in a hospital. You don't even manage them really in a physician's office. A lot of them are diseases that need management outside of the office. So take diabetes and pre-diabetes, which is still reversible. And there are millions of Americans who have this and have no idea. But a physician has 15 minutes with a patient, four times a year perhaps. But then the patient goes out and their lifestyle, what they eat, how much exercise they get, whether or not they are taking their medications appropriately, that happens out 
in the patient's home and in their community. So the AMA is working in our Diabetes Prevention Project to try to extend the reach of physicians by partnering with other entities so that we can assist patients to learn to manage this disease. Part of that will require looking, for example, at food deserts. If you live in an area where there are no grocery stores and the only vegetables have been sitting on the convenience store shelves for three weeks, you're probably not likely to eat those and choose those. We're gonna have to work with communities more. So the AMA is working to create those alliances and those consortiums that will help patients do a better job of taking care of themselves. Along those lines, social determinants of health are becoming more of an issue, and healthcare providers are looking more at prevention than treating a disease after the fact. Is the AMA working with organizations in the community that are addressing social determinants? Well, for the social determinants of health, one of the things that people don't realize is the most important factor in your outcome from a disease is your zip code. So when we are grading physicians right now on what their outcomes are, and we don't know what that social determinant is, we don't know what zip code they're in, we don't know if they have a caregiver, that we don't know whether or not they can afford their copays and deductibles, all of those social determinants are not being measured. So one of the things that the AMA is taking on, which I think is incredibly important, is how do we measure that? And how do we code for that in a respectful fashion so that we can, can look at what that problem is? You can't address a problem until you know how to define it and what the magnitude is. So we're working to create a coding system, which will take us, unfortunately, a few years probably, but we're working to develop a coding system that will allow us to be able to stratify patients according to those risk factors, as well as what is your tumor type and are you also diabetic and all the other medical risk factors that are part of it. Because then we can truly judge whether or not a physician is doing the job we're hoping they're doing. You know, if they're starting out with someone whose hemoglobin A1C is 14 and they get it down to nine, they're doing a great job, but they would still be penalized under our current system. And how do you view the vertical integration that we're starting to see in healthcare, such as the recent CVS Aetna merger? What will such alignments mean for not just the overall cost of care, but patient access to care? We had actually requested uh, through the California Department of Insurance and through other testimony that the CVS Aetna merger not be allowed to take place. We're appreciative that they at least took the Part D plan away from Aetna because that was the most egregious conflict of interest. However, there's an increasing body of literature that shows that consolidation, either horizontal, where it's a bunch of hospitals or a bunch of health plans consolidating, or vertical, where it's health plans and hospitals and pharmacies and other things consolidating, increases their market dominance, which allows them to negotiate higher prices for the exact same service they were delivering before. So consolidation has been shown to increase the cost of health care, decrease the choice that patients have and the choice that doctors have, and if you're lucky, the quality stays the same. What are some of the bigger policy goals that AMA is currently working toward? The AMA has 
three strategic areas that we focus in. One I've talked about, which is improving the health of Americans, just improving health outcomes and working on diabetes and other chronic diseases like hypertension. The second one is practice sustainability and physician satisfaction, which go together. And part of that is looking at the burnout issues that are happening. Uh, we're very concerned about that. Our third pillar is to advance medical education changes because we want to have medical students and residents and fellows come out into practice ready to able to take care of patients in the 21st century. And there's going to need to be some modification in the education system. In addition to those three, we're now confronting a huge opioid epidemic that patients that we treat for cancers are cured of their cancer and then die of opioid overdoses because they have the disease of addiction. So we are working very hard with multiple entities to change addiction from being seen as a moral failing into being seen as a chronic relapsing disease that requires ongoing both medical and behavioral health care for the rest of those patients' lives. So we have a lot of work to do. It's very rewarding to be able to see the changes that we're beginning to make in all of those areas. There's a lot more changes to come, but uh, I'm optimistic that the AMA is going to be able to help create the healthcare system of the future that is deserving of doctors work and patients respect so that we don't have the burnout issue and we can deliver better health care to patients at a lower cost. And is there anything else that you want to add? One of the advantages of the MACRA law that we are working on, the quality payment program, is that there's a process to create alternative payment methodologies for physicians. So we are looking forward to working with CMS and with physicians all across the country and physicians in their organizations, their specialty societies and their state societies, to come up with new payment models. And we are very hopeful that with this partnership with CMS that we will be able to try some new models, that what works for uh, Inflammatory bowel disease may not be the same model that works for diabetes or cancer or heart disease. So we need to have as many smart people across the country thinking about this and coming up with models that CMS can test to be able to change this payment structure. The recognition that what CMS really wants from physicians is the accountability so they can be assured that we are delivering the best care to the patient, the right care to that patient for those diseases in that community, in those circumstances, and be aware that we're trying to do it in a way that conserves money. Patients are going broke out there, and we have to help them with that as well. We need to have that trusting partnership between the physicians and CMS and the other payers instead of the adversarial relationship that it's been in the past. To see Dr. McEnany in Philadelphia at patient-centered oncology care or to learn more about the meeting or any of the topics discussed in this podcast, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. And to get in touch with us, 
you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.